it's not lost on me uh, today that I am preaching about uh, like healing and Holy Spirit ministry while like half of our church is gone because they're sick. I'm not joking. Like I got at least four different texts from people this morning saying, hey, sorry, don't be alarmed. I'm not going to be there because I'm ill. And I don't think that that's coincidence. I think something is happening in the culture of this church and in, in who we are and who we're becoming. Because I know that God is working on me uh, with some stuff just personally in my own life. I'm beginning to face some fears and level up in some ways. And I think part of that, uh, I think that that spills over into what happens in our church community. And that we as individuals, as we grow, um, we're getting better. And stuff that's happening on Wednesday night, uh, I'm, I'm starting to get actually like hopeful and excited about what's going on. It's really good. Um, we're coming together. I'm able to give some things away and delegate responsibility. And as I'm able to do that, I'm able to give things to people who are better at those things than I am. And, uh, and so things are getting done more effectively and better. And so it's really good. So, uh, Again, if you have any questions or if, if Wednesday night is a thing for you, it is. Please come. Um, and you get a taco and you get prayer and it'll be really good. God will show up. Uh, I want to start by doing something a little bit odd. Uh, I want us to remember if we were there or if we weren't there, uh, just recognize that we have a newly married couple in our midst and respond appropriately. Yeah, isn't that great? It's so good. It's so good. And I know you guys know how to clap. Hey, Paul, would you do me a favor? Would you turn that gain down just, just a little bit? That's great. Perfect. Right there. That's where I need to be. That's better. Uh, and I, I need you guys to be able to clap, okay? Because I have found that uh, affirmation needs are real, they're not just real for me, though they are real for me. Uh, they're real for everybody. And we as a community, we have some work to do in terms of supporting each other and, and helping each other meet those real needs for affirmation. And that's part of what community is about. I'm going to say more about that towards the end of the sermon. But I just want to say you guys are great at applause, and I love it uh, when we get excited and cheer about things that are really worthy of cheering about, and, uh, and these two getting married is, it's a sign of the coming kingdom, right? Jesus often talked about our experience as believers in Christ as like, it's like being engaged. We're committed. We know that we're going to be together with God, but we're not yet, right? It's this in-between place. It's this, we know that we're going to come together. We know that we're going to really and be able to enjoy each other and share life together and become one, but we're waiting, and we're waiting for the day. And so when marriage happens, it's a celebration of, uh, of, that, of that waiting coming to an end and that coming together really happening. Uh, as I was reflecting on weddings this weekend, just because I was kind of involved in one, uh, I was thinking about the parallels between weddings and baptism and just how both ceremonies are really kind of this commitment. It's this public commitment that happens in community where we say, I'm in for this thing. I'm all in 
You know, my old life of being single is over, and now I'm married. My, uh, my old life of sin uh, it is over, and I'm in with Jesus. I'm going to be committed to him. I'm going to follow him until I, until I die, and then beyond the grave. Uh, in the hope that I have in resurrection. We kind of get all of that in the symbolism of baptism. And just how, as I think that it would be a tragedy for, you know, a husband and wife who are recently married to say, okay, that's it, we're done. Uh, see you next week, right? And, and to check out and to not, like, work on the relationship and not to enjoy the benefits of that relationship, to not enjoy the, the closeness and all the, all, the, all the benefits of being married, uh, I, think it's, I think it's all too often the common tragedy that we as Christian believers get to a point where we say, okay, that's it, I'm done. I've, I've, met, my, I've met my obligations, I've, I've finished, right? I've been baptized, I'm dunked, I'm in. And it's good to celebrate that. It's good to celebrate that start of that lifelong committed relationship. It's right, but that's the beginning of the relationship. Coming into Christ and, and, and meeting him and committing to him, that's the beginning of a lifelong process of growing and learning. Same thing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's like, okay, I, you know, I spoke in tongues one time and now I'm done. Or I prayed for healing one time and I saw it happen and now I'm done. Or I got filled and I shook or I fell over and now that's it. I got it. I'm done. Right? Those things are important. They're good. And, and they're really wonderful actually. But, but that's not the end. That's, that's a part of the process. That's a celebration. That's a sign of the coming kingdom and all the good things that come uh, after that. And it's an, an empowering and it's a, a celebration, and it's also a way of, of just like marking that something real is happening. I was talking to another friend of, uh, last week, uh, n- no one in this room, uh, and I was talking to this friend, and, they, and we were kind of sharing with each other some of the, the struggles that we've had in, in staying married and being married and just the, all of the things that come with being in a, like a really deep relationship with someone else that you can't hide from, right? Like that's part of what, what, that, what that marriage commitment is, is like you guys are just in it forever, no matter what. The commitment makes you more vulnerable and makes it harder to hide. And then the fact that you live together and like share life on this like really deep, intimate level it makes it impossible to cover up whatever junk is inside you, right? You have to be honest with about it, and you have to face it, and you have to grow, and, and you have to, have to deal with it. And that's such a good thing, and it's so real. But uh, I was talking to this friend, and he was saying, you know, in the early few years of his marriage, he, he, he said to me, he said, you know, I don't know that we would have made it if we hadn't had like had that public ceremony in which we said in front of God and in front of all of our friends that we were going to stick with this. There were many times when I needed to fall back on my vows. And in, and in his case, what he was really saying is he was saying, I stuck with this and there were times when I wanted to quit, but I stuck with it just because I said I would. And I think that there's, some, there's, there's a piece of that that's really 
salient and, and, and important as we look at today's passage. Today's passage is full of all kinds of power and all kinds of experience of the Holy Spirit, healings, deliverance, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's this element of magic. There's this element of this other way of looking at the supernatural that is, I think, in direct tension with the way that the kingdom of God works. And so I just want to ask for God's help as we look at this. So if you would, pray with me. Lord, I ask that you would speak to me and through me. And Lord, I ask that the perhaps intimidating or scary or risky things that I believe you're calling me and this community and us too this morning, Lord, I ask that we would find the strength for a faith of obedience this morning. I also pray for a faith that experiences enthusiasm and joy and all the, all the good feelings. But God, I, I ask for a faith of obedience to do what you say to do this morning. Help us, help us grow in that today. And we just ask for those things in Jesus' name. So looking at verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. Okay, so what is the context? Well, if you were here last week, you know that I read like way too many Bible verses in one sermon. It was like a sermon in a sermon. It was an inception sermon. We had, we had Stephen who was, you know, doing signs and wonders and being like an awesome apostle guy. And he was making everybody mad. And so they, 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 they uh, trumped up charges against him. And they took him outside the city and they stoned him. And before they did, though, he preaches this sermon where he really lays it out how, you know, the people of God throughout the centuries have rejected God over and over and over again and how uh, tragically this is happening again. Um, and Saul, who's one of these people who becomes rather important later in the book of Acts and in the whole rest of the New Testament uh, and even has an impact on the Gospels that we read, uh, Saul was there approving of these people throwing rocks at Stephen until he died. Saul was on the other side of the first Christian martyrdom. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And I think this is just a good passage that really shows that tension that we talk about in this church all the time. This is kind of like our framework for understanding discipleship, how, you know, how our lives work, uh, justice issues, healing, prophecy, deliverance. We understand it through this paradigm of this overlap of the ages, and we find ourselves in the middle here, right? We find ourselves living in between this present evil age that will eventually come to an end and the age to come, the kingdom of God, breaking into our present experience through the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. And we are awaiting the second coming of Jesus when everything is made right and everything is made whole. 
Uh, but we get to experience some of that now. We get to experience, because of God's grace and because of his mercy towards us, an outpouring of what we will experience in heaven in our present life. And we see that tension. We see that, that tension in this story with, uh, with these powerful demonstrations of like deliverance, like demons, evil spirits coming out of people, lame people, okay, uh, like people who can't walk, being able to walk. Think about how that changes a, whole, a person's whole life. Think about how that changes their, their identity, how it changes their ability to, to relate to other people and function in a society to receive that level of powerful healing in their lives. Powerful things. And at the same time, the people who are doing these miracles and who are working these wonders and who are demonstrating with power and authority that Jesus really is who he says he is and does these things through his disciples, these people are getting killed and dragged off to jail and dying themselves. And so there's this tension but it's in this tension that the gospel message spreads. It breaks out of this very Jewish enclave and kind of starts to catch some of this sort of quasi-Jewish enclave, right? Samaria, these people who are sort of compromised in their Judaism. They're, they're sort of like half-Jewish, right? It's like they're Jewish, but they kind of blended in a little, you know, pagan religion and, and kind of their own thing uh, along with, you know, faith to the one true God, Right? Uh, and, and what happens, though, is that even though these people are kind of mixed, they're not really insiders in the, in the people of God at that time, uh, they start to experience God's Spirit through healing and deliverance and all these powerful wonders. And the gospel spreads in the midst of this tension. And I think that we are not unaware of this tension, right? We feel this tension. We experience it. We live it. We have seen God do things in this community, and we experience sometimes showing up to church and there's like just a few people. We have seen people come to Christ and be saved and and kids even committing their lives to Jesus, and our own lives are harder in some ways because we've chosen to follow Jesus. We're at odds with Instagram. We're at odds with uh, our job sometimes. We're at odds with the social pressures that we find ourselves in. We pray for healing and maybe we see it sometimes, but we ourselves are sick. I mean, like half of the families in this church today are at home sick today. That irony is not lost on me. And I think that it's natural when we live in this tension to want to reject the tension because it makes us uncomfortable. I think we do this in two ways. One way is uh, we embrace the, the comfort of unjustified judgment. We say, well, they're just getting what they deserve and not being healed. Or maybe we do that to ourselves and say, we're getting what we deserve and not being healed because we just, like, we're just bad and we deserve this. Or they're just bad and they deserve that. They didn't have enough faith. They, you know... Their theology wasn't quite right. They didn't love enough. They didn't pray hard enough. They didn't fast long enough. They didn't, whatever. Assuming all kinds of things we could never actually know because we're not God and we're not authorized to make those judgments. 
But I think maybe the temptation that I'm a little more prone to is to just embrace cynicism and just kind of give in to unbelief, to not trust that God can really do anything good, to say, well, you know, this is, this is a dream. You know, this is a nice idea that I comfort myself with sometimes when I'm not feeling up to it, but I don't, come on, is it really real? Is it really real? It's easy to give in to that. And it makes sense of our tense experience. It makes sense when we're experiencing this age, and we're not experiencing the age to come. Sometimes it's actually harder to hope. It's harder to do the work of saying, I hope that something like this can really happen. I hope that, that God can really heal my, myself, that, that, that my marriage might improve, that, that I might be able to face my fears, that I might become a more effective person, that I might be able to go get a job or, or do the things that God has called me to do or, or, or whatever. Really confront my kids or really be a better dad or you know, fill in the blank. It's harder to hope sometimes that's, that God can actually step into our actual lives and do something. But that's the tension that we're called into. And here's the thing. If we embrace unjustified judgment and pretend that we're holier than we are, or if we embrace doubt and cynicism and pretend that God isn't real and can't do something, then either way, the result is the same. We reject the truth. And we reject an active and living faith that changes our lives and the lives of people around us. Here's the truth. It's that God brings joy. The lie is that participating in Holy Spirit stuff will only make me and everyone else uncomfortable. But the truth is that when God moves, he brings great joy. And what we see in the city of Samaria in this story is that it was transformed. They experienced power that with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. I want Springfield to experience great joy, and I want to experience great joy myself. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to do this stuff, then it's going to involve some risk, and it's going to involve some discomfort, and we're going to have to face the things that we don't want to face. I believe that if we do that, that God will meet us there, and joy will be the result. Let's keep reading. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonishing uh, astonished by the great signs, sorry, and miracles he saw. So Simon was astonished by Philip's great signs and miracles, right? There we go. Uh, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. 
when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I want to say something here about this experience. You know, often it's the case that when we get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and something powerful happens. But there's something that didn't happen that Peter and John and maybe Philip had experienced that, that the, the new believers in Samaria had yet to experience. There was something that they thought, you know, we've all had this thing happen to us, you know, and I, I don't, it doesn't t- say exactly what that thing is, right? We don't get to know exactly what the specific phenomena is in this case. We don't see tongues or shaking or whatever. It just says that they hadn't experienced it yet. And here's the thing, you know, we, we know it when it happens right? Like, when God does something to you, when you experience the power of God in a tangible way, you, you know that it's God, right? And, and Peter and John and James, there was something that these guys had all experienced that the new believers hadn't yet. And so Peter and John came and placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, this is where it gets weird, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter, classic classic Peter response, here we go. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Wouldn't you love for that guy to be your pastor? Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And so we see even while there's this tension and this corruption and this misunderstanding in the community, that the gospel continues to advance, that, it, that, it, that after it hits this urban center, it starts to hit the area around it, and many people come to experience God, they experience God's spirit, and it's powerful. So there's a few things that I think in this passage of scripture um, that are uh, applicable to us. I think the first thing is that some skepticism about the source or benefits of something that we might call supernatural uh, are justified, right? That what seems to be the case when we read this story is that this Simon guy was doing some supernatural stuff, uh, but it didn't have its source in Jesus. And then he was kind of bringing that understanding to Jesus, and, uh, you know, it didn't go well for him, at least in his conversation with Peter. We don't really know what happens to Simon, right? We, it, that part of the story kind of doesn't get resolved. Like, does he, does he come around? Does he... Or is that just like the end? Does he get kicked out of the church? Is it like he unwilling to change? We don't really get the resolution of that story. It just kind of moves on and and talks about the things that God was doing in the surrounding community. But I think that it's not wrong for us to say, well, okay, maybe something supernatural is going on. Is that God? 
is it good? Does it help people love each other and love God? Does it glorify God? Does it lead to salvation and deeper relationships? Is it real? I think those are all really good and healthy questions to ask. And, and I love that in the vineyard, we have an attitude, and we try to teach this, especially when we try to teach people how to pray for each other, we try to dial down the hype. We try to not work things up. We try not to manufacture something. We try not to create an environment that's so emotionally charged uh, that people then later have doubts about whether or not God did something. That by dialing down the hype, by trying to be as chill and normal and real as we can, and asking real questions and telling people to go, go to your doctor, let your doctor tell you a miracle happened. I'm not a medical doctor. I can't tell you that you're 100% healed. You tell me your pain's gone, praise the Lord. Go check it out. Go see your doctor. Make sure it's real. All right? And we don't need to protect our egos because we have a theology for failure. We have an understanding of this now, not yet tension that we live in. And so we pray, we walk in obedience. And if it doesn't happen, we don't need that to affirm us. The thing that we want to be affirmed in is our obedience and walking out and taking the risk and believing in Jesus. I love what Robbie Dawkins says when he asks people to rate their pain. You know, you, you start, you say your pain's at a 10, let's pray, now give it a number, and don't be nice to me. That's the key. Don't be nice to me. Be real. Be honest. We don't have to pretend a healing happened if it didn't happen. That's healthy. That's good. That gives God honor. That's in line with the truth. That, that's honest. And I think that that's important as we continue to pursue Jesus' kingdom. Which, you know, when I read the Gospels, I can't find a page that doesn't have a story like this. And as we keep going through Acts, it just keeps hitting us in the face. This is what the church does. This is what the early church did. We want to continue in that heritage, both as a vineyard church and part of this wider movement known as Christianity. But I think that some skepticism can also be used as a smokescreen to deal with this issue of control, which I think is really what is at the center of Simon's sin in this story. If you will, magic is really all about being able to control things, right? That if I say the right incantations, if I do the ceremony, just if I, if I can, you know, if I can, if I can, I can manipulate the supernatural. And Simon is bringing that attitude towards God and saying, you know, hey, I'll pay you. You give me the secret so that whenever I pray, the things that happen when you pray will happen to other people. I want the guarantee. I want the safety and the security of knowing that when I do this, things will happen. And if I'm honest, there's a part of me that wants that control. I want to be able to know before I say, can I pray for you right now, that it's going to go the way that I want it to. 
that I'm not going to have to deal with that tension, that it's going to be easy, that it's going to be effortless, that the words of, that when I pray a prayer of command, that it's really, I'm, that I just know I'm only going to have to say it once, and there's not going to be any awkwardness, and I'm not going to have to worry that I will look foolish or feel silly for believing if I don't see the results that I want to see. That same desire for control is in me. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God works exactly the opposite way. The kingdom of God is when God is in control and when we submit and obey to what he wants to do, even if we're not feeling it, even if we're scared, even if it's uncomfortable or unpopular, or we stand alone. John Wimber used to describe the anointing of the Holy Spirit this way. He said, you know the anointing of the Holy Spirit is really on you because you're gonna, your mind is going to go totally blank. Your tongue starts to swell up, your hands start to sweat, and you forget what you're even trying to do or what, what your name is, right? You start to feel super uncomfortable and super apprehensive, and, and everything within you starts to say, I'm not sure if I really want to do this or not. That's when you know the Holy Spirit is really with you and ready to pray. Steve Nicholson, uh, who was a, a, a protege of Wimber's and kind of a friend, friend of Tim, and a, 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 he's actually going to be at a, a vineyard conference that I get to go to with a, a few other pastors here in October and spoke at the national conference. His talk is up online, by the way. If you Google Steve Nicholson uh, National Conference 2019, you can find the video of what he has to say. You know, I love this guy because he's so approachable. He's like the dweebiest guy you've ever seen. You, you look at this man and you're like, there's nothing sexy or cool about this man. He is, you know, in every way just like kind of a dork, right? <laughs> but when he prays, man, stuff happens. People, people experience God. They shake. They tremble. It's happened to me. Uh, they, they get healed. There's like powerfully accurate, spooky, like prophetic ministry that happens when he speaks. And he said this, he, thought, he said something I thought was really interesting. He said, you know, there's a kind of faith that requires enthusiasm. We have to work ourselves up. We have to get super, we have to get super sure. We have to get so, you know, like just full of expectation. And it's, it's our faith. It's our level of expectation that's going to make the thing happen, right? And there's a kind of thinking that goes along with that and the kind of, I think, wrong theology that goes along with that. And we have to work ourselves up till we're really feeling it. And when we're really feeling it, then something's going to happen. He said, you know, what's been, what's been true in my life is it's actually exactly the opposite. That whenever I'm like super jazzed and super excited, that's when I pray and boy, am I disappointed. But it's those times when I'm like, ah, really? Do I have to? I mean, are you sure? Like, it's really, all right, fine. Just come Holy Spirit. Boom! And that's when the kingdom breaks in. That it's the faith of obedience. It's saying yes to what God wants to do, even when it's weird to us, or uncomfortable, or might even require, I don't know, some faith. 
some risk, some not totally sure, but going for it, um, and trying, that's when God comes through, when we actually have to trust that God is going to do something that we couldn't engineer, manufacture emotionally, physically. It's when we are not in control, but God is in control, that power comes. This is a dude named Clay Harrington. He is in Champaign-Urbana area, uh, attends the somewhat large vineyard church there. Uh, here he is taking a selfie with a bunch of college students. I, think, I can't tell if these guys are in, I think he oversees the college ministry at that church. I can't tell if these guys are in the School of Kingdom ministry, which is like kind of a focus of like, let's really focus on prayer, or if they're just college students, I don't know. But I got to hear Clay speak at a national conference late, uh, recently, and uh, uh, he's an interesting dude. He's really cool. Uh, I really liked what he had to say. Um, I found him very approachable. And I saw this status uh, yesterday, actually, while I was loading up, um, while, I was, while I was kind of working, and I thought, oh, this actually fits really well. So this is what Clay said in his Facebook status. He's my friend. Uh, I'll be sharing this on the church page so you can enjoy it. You can ask Clay Harrington if he'll be your Facebook friend and follow him if you'd like. Uh, was just at the mall with Tobias, who's tagged, uh, and saw a young brother named John, so this would be the per- person uh, who they prayed for, who's also tagged in this, uh, in this post. Uh, as, we were, uh, as we passed by, we were able to slow him down and asked, uh, if there was a miracle Jesus could do for you, what would it be? Which is a fabulous great question. So the, so the, so the method with, with this one, if there's one thing that Jesus could do for you, what would it be? The great thing about this question is uh, it kind of connects to need before you ask for how can I, can I pray for you, right? So if you say, can I pray for you, people sometimes who aren't kind of familiar with what that means and what that's like might say, that's spooky and weird and I'm not sure about that. But if you start with need, if you say, hey, you know, if, if God could do one thing for you, what would it be? That kind of gets people in touch with their hopes, their dreams, what they want. And then, you, and then if they share with you, then you can say, well, can we ask God to do that for you right now? And what do you have to lose, right? So he actually opened up and requested that we pray for unity in his family and for there to be financial provision. After he explained this situation, I began to share words I felt the Lord put on my heart. He was surprised how close to home, certain details were as I was sharing. So he's kind of doing like a little prophetic ministry while he's praying for this guy, I guess, in the mall. Uh, During prayer, I received a word of knowledge about pain in the shoulder. Shocked that I even asked, he admitted that there was pain in his shoulder and neck region and that troubles him while he works. After one round of healing prayer, so, you know, and one round, that's like in the vineyard, we, we pray and we check. And if healing didn't happen, then we keep going for as long as the person will let us, right? Okay, so, so, but after one round of healing prayer, I asked him to check it out and see if he could make it hurt, hurt again. So he's, <laughs> so imagine, praying for healing, all right, he feels some relief, he says, all right, see if you can make it hurt again. Like, do something that would make you uncomfortable and really check, like, where is it? Is the pain real? At which point, he walked away in utter amazement and c- 
kept asking, who are you? Who is this dude? Right? So the, the person who just got healed is so freaked out, he's like backing away from these guys. He's saying, what is going on here? Right? Right? Who are you? Who is this dude? I asked if the pain was just feeling left, and John immediately confirmed that the pain was gone entirely. He was blown away, and this is the best part. He was blown away that this was happening to him. I eventually explained that it was Jesus who healed his pain and that it was Jesus who wanted to establish a relationship with him. John eventually opened his heart to God and prayed a prayer of salvation and professed that Jesus be king of his whole life. And here is what I love about the vineyard. We will be praying for you, John. Now, asterisks. Prior to this encounter, we tried approaching three other people who either, one, didn't want prayer, or two, didn't experience, that's did not experience, healing taking place. Each scenario could have easily worked to discourage us from stepping out. So when my feelings of discouragement and fear rise, may it only prompt us to keep going after it and walk by faith. We don't have to say that sometimes people are healed when they're not. We don't have to pretend that we're just waiting for it to manifest. We don't have to pretend that we're totally awesome or that we don't make mistakes or that, you know, it's something in us that makes healing take place. Our job is to be obedient and faithful and face that. All right, so here's what I'm going to do this week. Oh, let's talk about the character traits real quick. Here's what you need to do this. You've got to be faithful and persevere, right? You've got to stick with it. You're going to pray for some people who aren't going to get healed. You're going to pray for some people who don't have a powerful experience of God's Spirit. You're going to pray sometimes when you think maybe a deliverance situation is happening on and nothing's going to happen. You have to stick with it. You've got to keep trying. Two, you've got to be available. Like, it, it's important for God to be able to call the shots, it's important for us to structure our lives in such a way where God is allowed to talk to us about these things and ask us to pursue them. And maybe even structure our lives in which we are intentional about pursuing these things. Three, we've got to be willing to serve. We've got to make it about the other person. It can't be about us. We need to be humble enough to walk in the pattern of Jesus and to, to serve the people that we're praying for and that we're trying to minister to. And fourth, we need to be able to make mistakes and learn. We've got to have the the character in our hearts where we say, you know what? I muffed that. I did that wrong. You know, I think I had, I think I was a little bit too focused on my emotions while I was praying for that person. Or, you know, if I'm really honest, God wanted to do something and I just was afraid to follow him. I need to I need to learn some courage. I need to learn how to do this better. I need to learn how to pay attention. You know, incidentally, these are also the requirements for leadership. Um, these are character traits that will help you in all kinds of areas of life. So here's what I'm going to do this week. My goal is next Sunday, and this is weird. I, what I'm about to say might break our church. I don't know. I hope it won't. But next week, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to have some stories for you. My goal, because I can't manufacture this, but my goal is to have two stories at least. I want to have a story of I prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. 
I'm pretty sure I can nail that one. I'm sure I can do that, okay? I want to have that, that one well in hand. I'm really going to try before I prayed for somebody and they got healed. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to look, and I'm, I've got a week. There are a lot of sick people in our church, all right? So if you want to do this with me and you're afraid to do this with a stranger, find one of them, Okay? This is the invitation. My invitation to you is if you have a story to share, come and share it next week. I want everybody to try this. Somebody in your life is sick. Somebody in your life is sad. Somebody in your life needs something from God. You have the kingdom inside you. And if you have any doubts about that, you're not sure if you do, come forward for prayer and the Holy Spirit will fall on you. And you'll have what you'll need. And you'll carry it with you wherever you go. And here's how you know that God is calling you to pray for a sick person. There's a sick person and you're with them. That's how you'll know that God is speaking to you. Okay? Now, let me just say this. If you don't come up here and tell me a story this week of how you took a risk, what do you think I'm going to do? Am I going to beat you up? Am I going to you know, say, oh, you loser, you know, am I going to... Come on, no. Like, we're going to love each other. We're going we're gonna to care for each other. We're going to talk. Hopefully, we'll talk about that, and maybe we can struggle and learn and, and kind of grow deeper in this stuff. Like, look, we don't get saved by praying for healing. We don't get saved by um, preaching the gospel, even. We don't get saved by anything we do. We get saved because God loves us. And because of what he did, because he died for our sins. And he forgives us, and he loves us, and he accepts us. So if you come next week and you say, I didn't do what you asked me to do, the table's going to be open. We're still going to worship. We're going to have community. But I invite you to really pray and ask God if this is something God is calling you to do. Try this week. Lay hands on a sick person and pray for them. Do it the vineyard way. Don't be super pushy. Don't blame them if they don't get healed. Uh, like, ask them if it hurts. Don't, you know, don't, don't try to force something to happen. Like, just pray in humble faith that God might do something and hope. And if you ask, if you ask a person, let me just say this. I'll say, if you ask a person if they want prayer, and they say no, that counts. Success. All right? And, and here's where the clapping comes in. If you come back next week and tell me you did that, we're going to clap for you. All right? Because the faith that we're looking for here is not a faith of success. This isn't a religion for winners. This is about obedience. Got it? I invite you to join me in taking risks this week. Okay? Move our feet. Say, can I pray for you right now? If you ask that question one time, whether they say yes or whether they say no, I'm saying success. You did it. You have a question? You want to share something? Uh, can I? Let me, let, me talk to you, let me talk to you in a minute, okay? 
Let me get through this, and then, and then we'll, 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 I'll let you. All right? Uh, second, do this. I imagine, because I experience it myself, even as I feel like God is asking me to say this in front of you, I have all kinds of questions and doubts and all kinds of things stirring within me, conflict. Am I putting too much pressure on? Am I trying to force something to happen? What's going on? All right? So here's, here's the other invitation. If you find yourself experiencing resistance to this idea, experiencing resistance to walking in the ways that the apostles and prophets have walked before us, and walking in the way of Jesus and in his, the ways of his early disciples, if you find yourself finding resistance to doing this, like actually praying for something, not believing that it's possible, not knowing the theology, not knowing about the kingdom diagram, not knowing the prayer model by the back of your hands, but actually doing it, if you find yourself experiencing resistance there, try to name what that resistance is, Okay? Maybe that's like, I just lack confidence because I'm worried I'm going to do it wrong. Okay, let's have a conversation about that. That's actually a pretty good reason to, to slow down a minute, right? That's, that's out of a heart of love. You know, I'm just afraid. Okay, like name it. Call it what it is. Wrestle with it. Do the spiritual work of finding out what makes us resist what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. All right. Uh, let me talk to you here in a second, okay? Um, we're going to pray now. Would you stand? All right. Before the music starts, I actually want to do something a little different. Um, we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit. You guys all know how this works. If you want prayer, just step forward, okay? You're with family here with believers, with people who are safe. Nobody's going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. And nobody's going to judge you if something doesn't happen. All right? Let's welcome the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm just going to watch and see if I see God moving on people. Okay? So if you would, just hold your hands out like this, maybe, like God's going to give you a present. And we're just going to welcome the Holy Spirit. So come, Lord. And this might feel a little awkward, but we're just going to wait for a minute, okay? 